This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Business Women Australia podcast, featuring industry leaders who bring their wealth of expertise from diverse areas to help you build a successful business. Now, onto the show. And welcome to another Business Women Australia podcast. And of course, Business Women Australia podcast is the number one rated podcast for Australian women by Feedspot recently. So we're so excited about that. And of course, I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross. Now, joining me today is Marion Birchall. Now, she's the Managing Director of Azola Holdings Proprietary Limited, which is a management consulting business that focused on the confluence of strategy innovation technology. So we're going to have an awesome conversation today. Now, she has had an extensive career in the public sector, which is spanning several government agencies and sectors, including water, agriculture, social policy, intergovernmental relations, data and digital reform. And her work's been published nationally as well as internationally on public sector innovation and public participation in the development of public policy. Now, she has degrees in science, sociology, policy and planning, along with a certificate in public leadership from Harvard Kennedy School of Government. And she brings a unique perspective on topics that are based on her experience across these sectors, disciplines, and practices. Now, on today's show, Marion's going to share tips on how to become a more innovative organization, also why customer experience is the new differentiator, as well as why innovation and strategy and customer experience have all converged and they need for a multi-layered approach to having real impact. So welcome, Marion. Thanks, Anne-Marie, and congratulations on um, being the the podcaster that um, that is part of the you know, business women and a uh, great achievement. And you know what? It, it really is uh, evident of the such as yourself, the members that we have as part of Business Women Australia, because we get to feature awesome guests such as yourself that have incredible expertise uh, to share and insights. And of course, you are today. And as I was reading through your introduction here, it's like, wow, you have lived such a full life. And, you know, through those experiences, have really been uniquely placed to speak into the topic that we're going to talk about today. I mean, how to to converge all of those things. And I think right now where we're at in the environment where we're at with the challenges that many businesses and even government, local, uh, state and, and national and around the world really needs to refocus and, you know, how do we move forward? What can we do better? All of those things. What was it about this that started you on your journey? Was it something that, um, I don't know, your, you know, your family had been involved in or has it been something that, uh, you know, experience directed you to the path that brought you today? Give us a snapshot of how you got into this. 
Yeah, I suppose it's been bubbling um, for some time. Uh, I remember being in the public sector, a lot of people said to me, what are you doing here? Like you, the way in which you think and operate is very non-traditional public sector. Wow. Uh, and I would always say to them, well, that's probably a good thing um, as, to, as to why I'm here. Um, and so I kind of set up my own business as a bit of an experiment. Um, so as you read out, I do have a science background. So I love, I love me a good social experiment. Uh, and I thought, well, you know, why not give it a go? Uh, and if I don't do it now, then I never will. And I may regret that. And so one of the things that I try and do in my life is um, live a life of no regrets. Uh, and so I set up my own business and in the process, it's actually really taught me a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, and so even though, uh, as you say, I've, I've done a lot of things so far, I've still got a lot to learn. Uh, and that is one of the lessons I think that I've learned in setting up my business is that um, perhaps sometimes we think that we're experts or we know a lot of things we actually don't yeah. uh, and so one of my biggest lessons uh, in this has really been to understand myself a lot more yes um, and the, the skills that I have uh, because a lot of times when you're working you're so focused on the doing that you don't take a step back and go well what what is it that I'm doing and how am I doing that and is that of value um, and what's been interesting is that I can now have a better appreciation for that and appreciation that not everyone has the same skills and experience. And so you bring something different and unique to the table and that that's really important because everyone in government, in industry, in business, not-for-profits, are all trying to get somewhere. They're trying to have a positive impact um, on the world and in people's lives and in many instances, they're too busy um, or perhaps they need an extra capability or um, different thinking um, to be able to help them get there. And so uh, by, I almost say it like a jigsaw puzzle. So by looking at things um, in terms of what you can bring to the table for people to help them on that journey, I think is really important. Yeah, so true. And, you know, sometimes when we are faced with a challenge or a complexity, uh, we've heard that saying, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Well, isn't that the, you know, the definition of stupidity or some term such as that? But one of the things that I know many businesses particularly have has learned through the, the last kind of 18 months or so, and I'm sure we've heard the words such as pivot, uh, agility, but it is important, I think, for all businesses to be very agile because we're going to talk about innovation in a moment. To be innovative, and it means, well, first we're going to, I'd love you to define that, but the ability to shift and be able to shift promptly without having to take so long to analyse certain things because sometimes opportunities go and pass you by. But in your experience, and this can be from, you know, through, through the work that you've done in government and now, of course, in business, when we talk about agility and the ability to pivot and change and adapt, how are we doing? Are we getting better at that? Because if we're not able to do that, we can talk about innovation till we're blue in the face. Still nothing will change. But how do you think we're faring now? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that 
The short answer is it depends. Um, so firstly, you asked the question of what is the definition of innovation? And there's many, many definitions of innovation. Um, but the one that I particularly like is innovation uh, is a change that adds value. And and it has to be new and it could be a disruptive new, it could be a radical new or it could be just new to you. Um, but it has to be, it can't just be an idea, it has to be an idea that's being implemented. So there's an action component to it and that has to uh, be something that is creating some kind of value. Um, and so, so that's uh, in essence what I think innovation is. Uh, and then in terms of your question about um, how are we faring, uh, it really depends. So I think it's interesting because there has certainly been an acceleration in terms of the uptake of digital, uh, given the whole um, pandemic side of things. And we've seen those organisations that were already set up for doing digital, who were already reading the strategic context in which that we're operating in and had the foundations in place, make that move and transition a lot easier than those agencies that had not. But what's important about digital is that it's really an enabling factor to the outcomes and the impact that you have as an organisation. So in and of itself, technology isn't necessarily innovative, but it's the way in which it is used that creates the innovation. Um, and that that's the footnote to that is obviously unless you're actually creating some kind of uh, technology that is disruptive and new. Yeah. Uh, and so... Um, What's going to be interesting is uh, once we come out of the pandemic is if some of these practices, uh, ways of doing things and culture actually stick uh, or whether some organisations and people revert back to the way things were because that's what they're more comfortable with. And I think that's going to be a really interesting question. But in terms of um, what I'm seeing at the moment in terms of organisations, I think that there is definitely more appetite um, for innovation. There's definitely um, more appetite for change. I'm seeing some organisations get to a point of uh, change exhaustion, though, so that's, that's interesting. Um, but also I'm seeing that uh, a lot of there's a lot of focus on how do we do things better? How do we create greater efficiencies? Um, how, how do we become more effective in what we're delivering to our end customer? And that customer can can be, um, you know, uh, public sector or, or um, industry or uh, business based because um, everyone has customers. Uh, and so that's really what we're seeing in, in the market at the moment. Yeah, I love how that you or how you have shared that when it comes to innovation or even the making of change, there has to be some form of 
benefit, an outcome, and the reason why. From an organisation's point of view, particularly when you're looking at government, and and let's face it, I think now we've come to a point where we realise that, you know, we need to have a, a, a viewpoint of collaboration. I think businesses have recognised that. And when we look at external, you know, key stakeholders and even internal key stakeholders, at one aspect of that, they're our customers, aren't they? They're people who we we interrelate with or, or we we deal with and, and sometimes provide a service and so forth, even employment and so forth. And so hopefully, you know, the things that we've been through has certainly opened the, the door for more change. Something, and I can't quite recall who I heard this of, but they were saying, and this was from the US, that the rate of change that has had to happen over the last 80 months to two years has probably equated to what normally would have taken even up to six years. That's how quickly people have had to move. Now, obviously, we don't want to, to maintain that rapid pace. As you can say, that, that can often lead to, to exhaustion. What would be something that as organisations, whether we're in business for ourselves or even in, in government, or maybe there's a difference, there needs to be a balance, doesn't there? But there always needs to be some foresight moving forward. And how can we take that balance between doing business as with the normal course of the day, but also always being aware, are there different technologies that we can use that can improve internal, our customers, our you know team and externally? Is there like a formula that businesses, if you keep this in place, there's always going to be moving forward and adopting of new policies and, and technologies? Is there almost like a formula? Um, I, I don't know if there's necessarily a formula. There's definitely me different methodologies and um, approaches that people use. Yeah. Um, and so I, I guess in a practical sense, it, it looks a little bit something like this. Um, firstly, uh, some organisations prefer to be what's called ambidextrous. Uh, so they have status quo and business as usual and they they continue on doing that because that is generally their bread and butter and what, what they're delivering, at least in the short term. Yeah. And then they have um, the other part of the business, which is almost like the innovation side of the business. So what are we looking at in terms of disruption in our marketplace? How can we position? What are the things that we need to be trialling? How can we... Um, pilot or test or um, potentially even be the disruptors ourselves in our own marketplace or in other marketplaces um, in other verticals that might be able to use our products, services, um, ways in which we, we do things. Uh, and so, so there is that um, ambidextrous organisation um, and there's a lot, if people are interested, there are articles in Harvard Business Review um, around um, ambidextrous organisations and, and how they operate. Uh, other ways in which I've seen organisations work is they um, set specific periods of time um, for uh, teams um, to come together and it's usually um, across uh, so horizontally across the organisation, it's not necessarily people that are your executives or CEOs or management. You're looking more at frontline staff because they're the ones that um, are at the interface and, and generally know what's going on. Um, and you basically uh, create time and space for them to come together on a regular basis 
to look at what those opportunities could be and you give them um, like an allocation of time to actually be able to uh, come up with those ideas um, and then you um, potentially set up a governance model around where those ideas go and how they then uh, get looked at um, and if they need funding, you know, set aside a percentage of funding. So some organisations have a more um, structured approach like that around um, innovation within their own organisations uh, and, you know, you could have an ideas management system um, as opposed to having that multidisciplinary team of people that if you are doing that, though, you have to be... Um, in terms of the team, you have to be very specific about the type of capabilities and personalities that you're looking for. Um, so they do have to be handpicked. Um, if you're doing an ideas management system, um, that in, in and of itself does require management and you can't just set it up and then let it run. You do actually have to have particular processes and structures in place such as feedback and um, you know how things are going to be looked at and criteria and, and governance and the, the biggest thing about all of this is really about being able to demonstrate that these things have traction. And so what is being done as a result of the innovation um, team or um, uh, approach that you're using and being able to demonstrate that it is having impact, it is creating outcomes um, because that's when you actually start to uh, get more buy-in from the organisation and also you start to accelerate um, the innovation as well and it starts to impact on culture. Yeah. Uh, and there's different ways of doing that. And having those business case studies, which you might present, but then also, as you say, monitor them, see uh, that you've got a mechanism in place to be able to quantify the results and the impact. That's always good, even for the team to be able to see, you know, this is what happening before and this is what was happening after. And as you say, that sparks um, continual embracing of, uh, hey, you know, not just a here he comes again with another idea, you know, it <laughs> can be exhausting, I know, especially. And I, I want to ask you this, and uh, but I'll, I'll preempt it by sharing, you know, often, and I'm sure you've worked with what we would call more the entrepreneurial style, and you've got the entrepreneur who's often very innovative. And um, I can't remember the book. If I think of it, I'll, I think it's called Traction. It said all entrepreneurs should really have an intrapreneur, an integrator working for them, because the entrepreneurial mindset will often come up with lots of great ideas, but not necessarily follow through. And it is important. Yeah to that integrator, that, that person or, or persons that will follow that through. When you're talking about innovation or and an innovation, particularly if you look at, uh, you know, um, a culture of very much, I mean, government is about driving policy. It's about the, the stability and things such as that. Uh, the very much, these are the rules, regulations, typically are the ones that just need to see that things are being done. Would you say then that organisations need to hire more 
people that have more of that bent, if you will, uh, personal approach characteristics of being more innovative? Does that make sense Do you, when you talked mm. earlier about having to hire? So I'm just sharing that because, you know, sometimes you can get a group of people around and go, right, we've got half an hour, let's come up with lots of ideas. I mean, they, they naturally need to be able to do that, but create a space in which, you know, sometimes these ideas take a little bit of what time to, to bubble up and, and so forth. I'd love you to share any insights here. Yeah, absolutely. So I think uh, there's a couple of points that I would make. Um, The first one is around the recruitment um, question that you raised. Sometimes organisations already have entrepreneurs, um, but the two points that I'd make around that is that maybe they're not allowed to be unleashed and maybe due to the culture of the organisation, they haven't had the opportunity to demonstrate their entrepreneurship. Um, the second part to that is um, perhaps they already are being entrepreneurial, but the greater culture of the organisation is such that the status quo is so entrenched that they're not getting traction within the organisation. So it's about creating the environment which enables that entrepreneurship to happen, which leads me to my third point, which is even if you do recruit as an organisation um, specifically for an entrepreneur, if you don't have the right environment um, for them to operate as an organisation, then you're still going to end up in the same position. So it's more than, in my view, it's more than just recruiting. It's about creating the enabling environment um, for them to flourish. Um, yeah, I think that there was another point I was going to make, but I can't remember what it was. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you brought that up because I think there are a lot of entrepreneurs, people who have great ideas. Now, it does not mean that you have to implement every single one, but there's nothing worse than when there is an idea and it was shared because there was an issue, a problem, feedback from customers. And and we got, and I'm building up to the point that, hey, we need to be doing this because, as you say, com- Customer experience is the new differentiator. If we don't create an environment in which ideas can and these individuals can flourish, they will leave. They will either burn out or leave because it's um, it's just part of who they are and, and those new ideas, if they're not the good ones and not um, even taken on board or discussed, they'll, they'll leave. So let's then move on to you, you're saying, and we see this happening even as consumers are saying, and you'll say customer experience is the new differentiator. What do you mean by that? And how can we start to be more, I don't know, start to use some of the tools and, and things that maybe you've come across to help us in, in increase customer experience, if you will? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you're spot on around um, people leaving if they're not uh, enabled. And before I answer your question about customer experience, Um, What we're finding in the work that we're doing, and and certainly in my experience um, with uh, being an executive and and management um, in in those positions in my career, is that um, if people are given the time and space, uh, they will come up with really great ideas. So it's really about creating um, the environment and, and a really solid innovation process that allows those things to happen because in many instances they know the solution 
but it's really about um, getting the approval and the traction and having those other capabilities around people being able to then operationalize it. And the other point that I would make that's really important about innovation is that it can't be seen as a separate arm of the organization. Like it really is about doing things differently. So um, once it is piloted and trialed, it does need to be part of BAU in the organization. Um, so that that's what I would make. And and then I'll answer your question about customer experience. Um, so yeah, it absolutely is the differentiator in the marketplace at the moment. And it's it probably seems a little bit weird that we've gone from innovation to customer experience, but it's not. Because uh, the reality is, is when we talk about customer experience, um, we're not talking about customer service. So customer service is very transactional. It's a point in time transaction that you have with someone. Customer experience is about the whole experience that you have as a customer with an organisation, be that government, be it industry, be it a business, be it a not-for-profit. And it's really multi-layered. So I, again, I'm not talking about the customer support officer or um, the, the customer service officer. Everyone in an organisation is responsible for customer experience because it's about how you do your business as an organisation and how that business is then experienced internally as well as externally. And so it's really about a focus on how your customer is experiencing what you do as an organisation. And so that touches all areas of, of the business uh, and, and right down to IT because it's how it's enabled um, and the, I guess, meeting the expectations that we have around, uh, you know, being able to access services and information anywhere, anytime on any device. It's also around making sure that the processes are efficient so that as a customer, you get what you need when you need it. So it's timely, it doesn't cost you a lot. Uh, and for particularly for small businesses, this is really important because time is money. Um, it's also around, um, you know, the attitude of, of um, people as well. And so, so there's a whole layering of business process, of marketing, of how you use your technology, um, of uh, customer interaction. There's a whole layering that happens when we talk about customer experience. Uh, and it really does come down to the business itself and culture, the capabilities that you have to enable that to happen um, and, and the processes that you have. And so innovation in itself is helping businesses, organisations to actually do this better um, particularly around this time during the pandemic, uh, as as we talked about, um, people are busier than ever. I think we're all over the whole Zoom uh, meetings, which is basically taking up our entire eight hour day. And then we have to work another eight hours just to actually deliver the work that we're supposed to do. Uh, and so creating these efficiencies and innovations is, is really key um, to ensuring we don't get burnout and exhaustion. Uh, and so, and the other thing is that most people who work want to make sure that they're actually delivering value and that it's impactful. And so this is all kind of confluencing together at this point in time. 
And so what we're doing with a lot of our clients is using innovation practices, methodologies and thinking, um, such as organisation um, innovation frameworks, design thinking, agile, um, lean methodologies that you see in startups to really get them to reimagine what their business could be like and the processes that they have uh, and their interactions with their customers to create a better experience for everyone, not only their end customer but also their staff as well. Uh, and we're actually seeing that that's getting a lot of traction at the moment uh, in terms of the type of outcomes that are being achieved. Yes. Would you say as you're starting to look at, uh, you know, whatever area within the business to try and streamline things, often it's going back, as you talked about lean, going back to the most simple of systems because over time things, you know, in this step and then that step and then this step can become very outdated uh, and in some instances we can get rid of all, a lot of steps. Would you say for a business then that is maybe just starting out on this or maybe they're having difficulties, it's because A, they are taking things on. You know, sometimes we try projects. We don't just go for small and then build and then build on that. But we try and that, that saying, you know, bite off more than you can chew. What, what kind of things have you seen then, this is my question, that would thwart, that would block, that would be a barrier to try and embrace some of the things that you've spoken about, just so that we can be aware of that? Because, again, there can be a lot of talk and we don't want to get off on the wrong foot because if we've got a team of people, how we manage this entire process is going to impact how they embrace it moving forward. And if they have a negative experience or experiences, it's going to take a lot more work, isn't it, Marianne, for us mm -hmm. to get them on board for a project that may really start to impact across the customer's experience. Can you share some insights in that? What would be some barriers and blocks that we want to be aware of? Yeah, absolutely. So one of them is the status quo. So a lot of times, and I'm sure Anne-Marie and some and the rest of the viewers are quite um, uh, will, will understand this, is that when you come up with an idea, people go, I've tried it before, didn't work, and this is the way we've always done it, why do we need to change because it works, um, and those sorts of excuses. The status quo in it in and of itself is actually quite powerful because many of the processes and structures that we have built um, reinforce it. Uh, and so it can actually be one of the biggest barriers um, and create the greatest resistance because people are very comfortable with it. Uh, and it's one of the things that I found quite interesting um, in my time uh, in, in management is the level of comfort people have with with the status quo and even though it can be complex people don't understand it um, people wonder why why do we do it this way um, the people don't really want to change it because they're comfortable with it and they know that it works um, so that's one of the biggest barriers uh, another barrier is uh, management so we know in the literature but also through our own experience that a lot of the middle management uh, and upper management are very comfortable with the status quo because it's what they know. And there's almost this culture that they have to know everything, that they have to know the answer. And if they don't know, then they're weak or they're not a leader or um, 
or they that they should know this stuff. And the reality is is that we live in an ever complex world. We don't actually need to know everything, and that's what you've got your team there for. Uh, and and you can run different processes uh, around things that are unknown because more and more there are going to be unknown factors and there are things that we're dealing with, particularly as we're in the industrial 4.0 or digital age, that we have no basis to base our uh, understanding or um, decisions on. And so we have to get more comfortable with change and, and not knowing the answer. And uh, that that makes people very uncomfortable. Um, so being able to get comfortable with the uncomfortable is going to become more and more important. Um, and feeling comfortable in yourself to empower others um, to come up with uh, some of the ideas is also going to become more and more important as well as we move forward um, as a society. Um, and and in the business world as well. Yeah, I'm so glad that you reinforced the fact that as leaders we don't have to know everything and the, the importance of surrounding ourselves with the right team member who has that knowledge because as a leader you want to influence the environment in which they can work together uh, individually together for the betterment and for the rolling out or whatever it is that they're doing of the project and of obviously the end customer and internal customers. The conversations that I have had, particularly uh, with women, you know, women leaders, women in business who themselves think I need to know everything and if I don't know something, um, I'm going to look bad. Men have even said to me too um, privately that they have, have that too, but they're just able to just move forward anyway. I mean, that's so important to get. I mean, if we knew all of the answers, I mean, how boring would that be? I mean, really? Um, what are some things that you can give because of, of just some advice, some insights, empowerment that uh, we don't have to know everything, but know what questions to ask, I think, isn't it? Know the questions to ask. What's a, what are some things that you can give us to help us um, become comfortable with that so that we can move forward? Because I think if we live with that fear, we can't step into who we are you know, brilliantly and, and as that leader of the team. So what can we do? Absolutely. So there's a couple of points that I would make. Firstly, I think it comes down to understanding that um, the way in which our society and education system is structured, um, it actually forces us to specialise in particular fields. Uh, and and that is interesting in itself and there are there are definitely reasons why that is the case uh, in terms of justifying those particular disciplines and and so on and creating specialists and uh and and everything that goes with it the reality is is that we live in a multidisciplinary world uh, and so when we're dealing with a lot of these challenges that we're facing it takes a multidisciplinary solution and so it goes back to that earlier point of we each hold a piece of the jigsaw puzzle. And so as a leader, it's about creating that environment that allows multidisciplinary teams to come together. So the question really is around how do you create a culture of multidisciplinary teams coming together, breaking down the silos of organisations um, because that is where the magic happens, 
uh, and creating the flexibility within the organisation that allows these teams to come together to actually solve some of these problems using the diversity and capabilities that are present within your organisation. And that gets me to my next point, which is related, which is really around diversity. Like we hear a lot about the importance of diversity, but we don't actually, in my belief, use it to its greatest extent at the moment because, uh, again, it goes back to the way in which organisations are structured. So they're generally structured in terms of specific teams within silos and we we, um, recruit for particular capabilities within those specific teams to deliver what's required within that specific team. Um, Yet, if we're talking about agile organisations and as a leader being able to solve some of these complex problems, what you need to be doing is um, essentially looking at creating diversity across the organisation and then leveraging that diversity for specific focused problems. Um, And what that then also creates is a less siloed mentality. Um, It creates a more flexible and agile organisation that is then more uh, attuned to being able to change and deliver things. Um, But it also creates greater innovation because those teams can then see the opportunity across the organisation as opposed to just within their particular verticals. Um, and I guess the other thing that I would say is that um, for for leaders, it definitely is about being able to, to ask the right questions, but it's about rethinking what it is to be a leader in an organisation. So in many instances, leaders just uh, scale up what they've always done because that's how they've been successful and how they've got to those particular positions. But in my experience, and I had to do this myself when I ended up moving into an executive position, was I had to rethink what it was to be an executive in an organisation as opposed to a senior manager. And it's very different. Uh, and it is more around, you know, things like you know, creating the culture in the organisation, um, creating the empowerment of your team, because if you empower your team, they're more likely to be loyal to you, they feel more valued, they feel listened to, they have greater impact. Um, you, as an organisation and, and as a leader, end up looking really good. Uh, and, and so that's really awesome. Um, but also it's about asking the right questions. It's about moving things out of the way for people so that they can be their best that they can be. Um, and it's about it's about strategy. So it's about looking at that broader environment and strategizing and positioning the organisation um, in the best way possible so that you have a sustained future. So you're working and people say you, you should be working more on the business as opposed to in the business and that that is actually true. Yeah. I mean, all of those are such brilliant insights and we could probably spend an entire day diving deeper into all of those particular areas. However, as you've said, with such of the complexities, the challenges and the rapid rate of change, I mean, there's a saying, isn't it, The um, which kind of we know that, you know, things are moving quicker and quicker. And as you say, the more things are moving, the more we realise that we don't know, you know, and 
one last question that I would love to ask, and this is kind of diving in, in maybe reflecting a little bit of your background. However, there's a purpose for this, and often I think we we neglect to focus on this. I mean, you've got a diverse experience, and I think some of the best insights learnings that we have are from the hindsight, you know, that we've learned from previous things, whether it be challenges or projects that worked really well. Would you say then when we're looking at innovation or we're looking at what ways can we do things that will improve customer experience or whatever it is, that we often are neglecting, well, what's happened before? What's been done that worked really well? Can we change it to perhaps suit what's going on here? I mean, do you reflect a lot and bring what you've been doing in, in the previous experiences? And do you think that we we tend to negate a lot of that experience because it maybe does not seem relevant to now or we're always looking for those bright, shiny objects? I'd love you to share a little bit about that because this is really your life story, isn't it? You bring such a, a beautiful mix of, of expertise that you draw on. Oh, thanks, Anne-Marie. Um, I guess there's some positive to uh, always wanting to learn new things. Oh, that's right. It be, I know. I mean, what what's the point of just doing one thing where there's such a diversity of wonderful things to learn out there? But, yeah, share. Life is a smorgasbord. Um, so I, I agree. I, I can't really speak for everyone else, but from my point of view, I try and... Um, bring the practical experience and lived experience that I have to to anything that I do. Um, and even if it hasn't worked somewhere, it might work somewhere else or understanding um, what the lessons were learned in, in any of those failures um, because they, they might not apply somewhere else. Um, but it's really delving into, um, how do I put this? I'll take a step back. So in most instances, what I see is that people rely on a process or framework to actually do something. And it's almost like a like a comfort blanket because it's like if I follow this process or if I follow this framework, then I should end up with this positive result that I'm looking for. The reality is it's not that simple because there's this complicating factor called people. Yeah. And so... That's right. <laughs> you always forget the human factor. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what process or framework you use, the human is what gets in the way. And the thing is, is that we never deal with one human, we're dealing with multiple humans. And so um, it's that humanistic factor that usually gets missed. And in my experience, that's usually what ends up being the thing that is either the success or a failure um, of a particular initiative. And the successes are usually because they've considered the human factor and they've considered the unique environmental factors that the initiative is going to be operating in. And in order to do that, you need to have people that are skilled in multiple ways um, to be able to deliver that successfully. So, and that includes having that practical experience um, and the nows to be able to understand what it is um, you're faced and how best to manoeuvre that and be agile enough to, to pivot or if you're into dance, step ball change, um, you know, when things are, are going a certain way. Um, and that that does take uh, experience to do. So absolutely right, Anne-Marie. 
Oh, you're on mute. <laughs> the digital age, you're on mute. <laughs> I was just had someone coming in the back door, so I thought I'm just go front door. I should say I'm just going to mute myself. But I was going. I just said it's those people. They always get in the way of our wonderful new innovations, don't they? If we could just work that out. Um, look, it's been such a delight speaking with you today, and as I know that before, we have, before you wrap up. They, yeah. they are the, the things that get in the way, but they're also the most powerful thing as well. So Absolutely. if you're smart enough to, to enable them, to get them on board and um, to really focus them on how they can have impact, um, you are going to be set up for major success. And that's true leadership, isn't it? You know, how often as, and I'm sure that you you would often have this, you get someone who gets you to come into the organisation and said, I need you to fix my people. It's like those dog, you know, behavioural, dog behavioralist. I need you to fix my dog. <laughs> Let's talk about you, the owner. You know, often the issue is not the people, it's you as the leader. And you know what? I think that's a sign of quality leadership. It's the leader who steps forward and says, yeah, and you need to take ownership for that, don't you? Uh, because you Absolutely. are the leader. You are the leader and the, the buck stops with you. Yeah, and leadership isn't management. So there's a clear delineation. And because you might be a manager or an executive, that doesn't necessarily make, make you immediately a leader. In some instances, you know, people do have leadership capabilities um, and, and that's great because they've been recruited appropriately. But leadership can come from anyone in any organisation. Uh, it's really about embracing that opportunity uh, and uh, seeing how far you can push because a lot of times that boundary is a lot further away than what you think it is. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, if I think back to some of the leaders that I worked with many years ago, I must say many, many decades ago, the ones that are still the standout, you might not have necessarily agreed with a decision or something that they implemented, but you had such respect for them respect because you know that that was it was mutual it was reciprocated and you knew that if the decision was no or not yet it wasn't no the entire time and and you you, you had that trust I think being a trustworthy integral uh leader you know that and and sadly I think we you know, there's some organizations yeah that it's not the the issue with the people but rather the leadership uh, it's such a great reminder. So, and I, as I was saying before, Mary, we have just scratched the surface. We could probably talk all day and many days and, and uh, dive Absolutely. a lot into it. But for people who have really resonated with what you shared today and thought, you know, we'd love to speak and find out more about what you do, how you can support people, what's the best way for them to connect? Yeah, so uh, they can certainly send me an email. Um, am I allowed to give my email address on the podcast? <laughs> maybe you you know you just which is the best way in case you get inundated i suppose but what's the best way email's fine yeah, emails email is probably the best way um my husband always tells me don't call her because she never picks up her phone um so email's definitely best it's mvirtual at iinet.net.au Terrific. Fantastic. And of course, I'm sure you're across the different socials and yes. uh, we'll tag you in uh, this particular uh, podcast episode too. I know that you we are streaming also on LinkedIn as well. So reach out and connect that way and email here too. That's right. I mean, who rings these days? I, <laughs> emails before, aren't they? 
<laughs> emails and messaging online. Use some of that technology. Okay. So um, what's that yeah. mean? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, look, it's been an absolute delight and uh, hopefully we will be able to connect one day. I know, I know often as Business Women Australia, we're a, a collective of business women around Australia and here in Melbourne, of course, we've had our, this is when we're going to meet and then we've got to cancel and this is when we're going to meet. So <laughs> hopefully one day we, we will be able to have a, a collective meeting where we're all sitting face to face and enjoying having a chat that way too. But thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Anne-Marie. It's been an absolute pleasure. You've been listening to Business Women Australia podcast. Want to become part of a dynamic collective of women who are passionate about business success and personal growth? Go to businesswomenaustralia.com.au forward slash membership to apply. That's businesswomenaustralia.com.au forward slash membership.